Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up, it's tax deadline day, the first that hasn't been delayed since the 2018 tax year. We'll dig into the numbers from WalletHub's 2022 Tax Burden by State report. Where does Ohio rank? Also this morning, the Great Resignation has seen millions of Americans going into business for themselves, forcing established companies to farm out services that have previously been done in-house due to the ensuing labor shortage, which in turn makes freelancing a viable option for many entrepreneurs. And a perfect postscript to the Easter holiday, Journey to Eternity is a novel that weaves lessons of the Bible into a thrilling adventure story. We'll speak with the author. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, April 18th, 2022. Today is tax day and uh, the, the deadline to file your taxes. According to the IRS, this is kind of interesting, about three in 10 people will wait until the last three weeks to file. Three in 10. And, uh, 11% will actually file late with an extension after tax day today. So that's a fairly significant number of procrastinators out there. Compare that to about 12% of taxpayers who get their taxes done within the first week that they are able to file. So for 12% of you, uh, today means nothing, but for a much larger percentage, uh, today is a significant day. And of course, uh, usually the tax deadline day is April 15th. This year's deadline is the 18th because of the observance of Emancipation Day in Washington, D.C. And when the holiday, uh, D.C. holiday coincides with uh, tax day, they extend it and uh, thus it is uh, today the 18th. Also uh, worth pointing out, today is Tax Freedom Day, meaning that all of the money that you have made up until today has gone to the government, IRS, the state, local municipalities, uh, to pay all of your taxes, income taxes, sales taxes, uh, all of the money that you make up until today goes to the government. And from today on, you can actually start making money for yourself. The uh, Tax Foundation, I think, Nonprofit Tax Foundation calculates this every year. And April 18th uh, is the Tax Freedom Day along with uh, Tax Deadline Day. So worth noting there as far as that goes. Other reasons to celebrate today, it is International Amateur Radio Day. Now, this is to honor ham radio operators and so on. Not amateurs on the radio. <laughs> like we are accused of being sometimes. Um, Pet Owners Independence Day. It is Adult Autism Awareness Day. National Animal Crackers Day. Newspaper Columnists Day. National Lineman Awareness Day. I think they're talking about the people who work on like the electric lines and so on. I don't think they're talking about the football players. Uh, Lineman Awareness Day. National uh, Veloc uh, Velociraptor Awareness Day. <laughs> For you dinosaur enthusiasts. World Heritage Day. And it is Pinata Day today. So there is 
reasons to celebrate today. So I hope you had a, a good Easter weekend. Uh, I know we did. We uh, had a, uh, a fun Easter weekend. I can finally talk about this because everybody knows now, um, found out, actually, my wife and I found out a couple of weeks ago uh, that we're going to be grandparents again. And uh, my uh, son and daughter-in-law announced to the rest of the family yesterday during the Easter uh, gathering that uh, they are expecting once again, which is which is always kind of cool. So I'm really excited about that. And it was it was kind of appropriate on Easter. You know, you think new life and and all of that is kind of the spirit of the season. So it was kind of nice to uh, announce that on the uh, Easter holiday. I thought this was kind of interesting. I wish I had seen this yesterday. We could have uh, could have mentioned it. Uh, research from Cornell University finds that a child's first words. Of course, a major milestone in the life of a young child. Uh, but not every parent should expect to hear mommy or daddy right away. That's the quintessential first word is either mommy or daddy, right? But it's not always. This research from Cornell University finds that uh, kids are likely to learn a little bit of this and that when speaking for the first time. It could be just about anything. Uh, mommy and daddy are just as common for young children to say early on. Uh, or the iconic mama, so mama, mama, mama. That sometimes is the words that help direct caregivers attention are usually the, among the first that children begin to use and understand frequently. So anything that will get their caregivers attention and usually it's mama or dada but usually mama, uh, but not always. Uh, any word that that infant can associate with getting uh, parents' attention is probably the first thing uh, that he or she will say. Anyway, project uh, the largest ever, according to sample size of early vocabulary development in an indigenous language. So anyway, it was kind of interesting. I don't know, worth, uh, worth mentioning and... Seemed to be rather appropriate, given the uh, good news that we got over the weekend. Uh, a lot of people traveling over the weekend. Did you happen to see this? It did not actually happen over the Easter weekend, but you might have seen it over the Easter weekend. A now viral video shows JetBlue passengers aboard a plane begging to be let off the aircraft after four, count them, four unsuccessful attempts to land at JFK International Airport in New York due to severe weather. Uh, the uh, flight from Cancun, Mexico, was eventually diverted to Newark in New Jersey, Newark International in New Jersey, where it touched down successfully after four failed attempts <laughs> at JFK. But here's where it gets interesting. One passenger in the video can be seen getting up from his seat and pleading with the staff to let pa passengers off the plane. Uh, <laughs> he says, people are getting sick back here. We got to get off this plane. But, uh, it was, by the way, at this point, it was six hours into a three hour flight because of all of the failed landing attempts. They had to go around and try to land again and go around and try and land and so on and so forth. But finally, by the time they finally land, they had been, uh, flying for six hours for what is usually a three hour flight from Cancun. And, uh, they're just, we want to get off. She said, we understand it's not 
the airline's fault. It's not the pilot's fault or, or anything. It's the weather. But we just want to get off. But here's where it gets interesting, because rather than letting passengers off, the plane sat there uh, at Newark International Airport waiting for the storm to pass before taking off to go back to JFK <laughs> and land there. Because that's the deal. Even though JFK and Newark are very close, contractually, airlines are obliged or obligated to take you to your eventual destination. If they land, if they divert to another airport, they got to figure out a way to get all those passengers back to where they were originally going. And uh, the easiest way is to just land, wait the storm out, and then fly back to uh, JFK. They wouldn't let anybody. Everybody's begging, please let us off, and they were being held hostage. <laughs> gotta feel feel bad for those folks. Uh, let's see. A couple of other uh, items here among the first things you need to know. Get your Monday morning started as we head uh, back to work after the Easter holiday. This is one of those one of those things that I I think is maybe a very disturbing trend. Of course, you know uh, the term influencers, people who make their living hawking stuff online and influencing others to buy the products that they endorse or, you know, what have you. They're influencers. That's what they do. This is a career thing. In the age of social media, people can actually make enough money getting paid by companies to endorse their products and so on and convincing other people to use them as well. Now this trend may have gone a bit too far. Some influencers on social media are now marketing medicines and medical devices. New report from the University of Colorado says that pharmaceutical companies and medical device manufacturers are looking to these patient influencers as increasingly popular direct-to-consumer marketing tools. These influencers share their stories online and use their personal experience to help inform and educate others. But, uh, and, and because they openly discuss what are sometimes sensitive and personal health problems, they often come across as more sincere and potentially hold a lot of sway over their followers on social media, even more so than just the generic influencers who hawk makeup or clothing. So this, these are very powerful individuals. The problem is that the relationships some patient influencers have established with drug companies and medical firms raise ethical questions that need to be addressed. Uh, this is according to Dr. Adrienne Fuberman with Georgetown University Medical Center. She says patient stories and patient perspectives are certainly important. However, the perspectives that are being highlighted are the ones that back up the marketing claims and the marketing goals. You're only hearing one side. They might just be out there telling their story, but they're being selected because of what they are saying, uh, because what they are saying supports uh, some company's marketing goals. And obviously this can be dangerous. Or not, maybe not dangerous. It could be dangerous, I guess, in some cases, but it raises all kinds of ethical questions. 
she says she thinks patient influencers should be required to publicly identify the companies that are paying them, the names of the products being endorsed, and how much they are being paid to hawk a certain medicine, medical treatment, or medical device. I don't know about how much they are paid, but certainly it makes sense to have some sort of disclosure rules. And right now, it's another case of the technology getting ahead of the law, and they don't necessarily even have to uh, disclose that they are being paid for this. So bottom line in all of this, uh, next time you hear someone on social media or see a, a post uh, endorsing a certain medicine or medical treatment, might want to stop and ask some very pointed questions. That was kind of interesting. And speaking of your health, I saw this on the uh, Newswire. We know that smoking is really unhealthy uh, to the point that it can dominate many other factors in shortening's one li- shortening one's lifespan. But after smoking, what would you think is the second most dominant factor in terms of longevity, lifespan? Researchers at the University of California found that the percentage of Americans surviving from age 65 to, to age 85 was 37% higher among those who had never smoked as compared to current smokers. After that, there was a 19 percentage point difference for someone with at least $300,000 in income. <laughs> income, the second most influential factor in determining whether you can make it from age 65 to 85 in terms of longevity. The wealth-related disparity in mortality larger than the disparities in education, occupation, income, or childhood socioeconomic status. The wealth, after smoking, wealth determines your lifespan more than any other factor, according to this uh, research from the University of uh, California. Make of that what you will, but one of those things that make you go, hmm, there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIM News, I'm John Marshall. Your WTOL 11 weather, a mix of snow and rain today with a high 40, a chance of rain and snow tonight with a low 33. The month of April is National Distracted Driving Awareness Month. Lieutenant Grigsby with the Highway Patrol says the distracted driving corridor just south of Finley on I-75 is educating drivers about the dangers of distracted driving and making them aware of law enforcement's intense focus on stopping it. It's not just about writing a citation, right? It's about talking with people. It's about you know educating the public on the importance of the primary function of operating a vehicle first and, and not looking at your cell phone. Grigsby says talking or texting on cell phones, eating, and other distractions continue to cause crashes that have lifelong consequences for both violators and victims. Get more on Distracted Driving Awareness Month on the website. A man from Columbus who said he was following presidential orders from Donald Trump when he stormed the U.S. Capitol has been convicted of obstructing Congress. A federal jury also found 38-year-old Dustin Byron Thompson guilty of stealing a coat rack from an office inside the Capitol during the riot on January 6th of last year. Thompson, an exterminator who lost his job during the COVID-19 pandemic, was the first Capitol riot defendant to mount a trial defense blaming Trump and members of his inner circle for the insurrection. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. The handbags that help women's giving circle awarded its latest round of grants to four local nonprofits. 
Nonprofits receiving grants in this cycle are the City Mission, Findlay City Schools, the Fort Findlay FOP Lodge Foundation, and Raise the Bar. Hosted by the Community Foundation, Handbags That Help is a women's giving circle dedicated to building strong families and increasing philanthropy in Hancock County. Over the years, the organization has granted more than $620,000 in support of dozens of local nonprofits. And Kings Island has opened for the season. The park north of Cincinnati is beginning its 50th anniversary year. The 364-acre amusement and water park opened in 1972. Dave James, I went in news. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm John Marshall for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, something to share with you this morning on the occasion of Tax Deadline Day. The folks at WalletHub recently released their 2022 Tax Burden by State report. And joining us with some of the most interesting numbers in that is uh, WalletHub's Jill Gonzalez. Jill, so you analyze the data here uh, when uh, analyzing the tax burden by state uh, on three basic components, which are what? So when we're looking at tax burden, we're not only looking at essentially how much taxes people are paying, but we're comparing that to what the average income is in that state. So property tax, income tax, and sales taxes, all of a share of personal income within the state. Okay. So on either end of the spectrum, you have New York as the state with the highest tax burden and Alaska the least, neither of which is probably particularly surprising. Where does Ohio land on that list? So Ohio is closer to the top than the bottom. It ranks 19th overall. So altogether, a person's tax burden is about 9% of their total income. Could be better, could be worse. So uh, just under 9% is compared to nearly 13% in New York for perspective there. Now, does that include just the state tax burden or does that take into account federal taxes uh, factored into that as well? This is going to be state and local taxes. Okay. Uh, what were some of the other things that kind of stood out to you uh, that, that uh, most jumped out at you in the uh, tax burden by state report for this year? Well, when we're just looking at where the tax burden is the highest, as you said, we have a place like New York Mm -hmm. that's mostly due to property tax. But right below that, we have a place like Hawaii, which famously has very low property taxes, but very high sales taxes because they are importing and exporting a bunch of goods. Mm. So it's interesting to see, you know, where the top 10 kind of shakes out in terms of why there is this burden. Yeah, not just the uh, the overall burden, but how it uh, breaks down. And again, uh, when you look at Ohio in that uh, in that breakdown, uh, again, since we're right in the middle, could be better, could be worse. Where could we be better? Where could we be worse? Ohio could do a little bit better when it comes to property taxes. That's where it ranked the worst here at around 3% Hmm. of the total burning going to that. But it was, you know, pretty evenly uh, filtered between property, individual income and sales taxes. I think it's interesting to note that Ohio ranks right in between Nebraska and Wisconsin. So there is, you know, this sense of, and we've seen this in the Midwest, especially in Illinois, I would say that, and Minnesota possibly, that the taxes are increasing there, but hopefully you notice, so are the government services. You know, education quality is creeping up. Better healthcare systems 
are, are what we're seeing as well. So there hopefully is that trade-off of you're getting what you pay for. Yeah, that, that is uh, certainly uh, worth uh, pointing out. And we all hate to pay taxes. We want to pay as little as possible. But there is a return on investment that uh, you get with the uh, money that you uh, send to the government, especially at the state and local level. Exactly. So, you know, there is kind of that hope of you get what you pay for. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, what we see in a lot of the Northeast states. Um, You know, we see that in some states that don't necessarily have income tax that are considered low tax. They make up for it in a lot of other ways, whether it is property tax or usually sales taxes. Mm. Some of the interesting uh, data points that jumped out at me, aside from the overall number, uh, says 65% of Americans did, in fact, see their taxes decline when the tax code was overhauled a couple, three years ago. But nearly three in four said that it really didn't help them all that much, if at all, financially. Is that because of inflation or something else, or is it more perception than reality? What do you attribute those data points to? Yeah, I think a lot of it does have to do with perception versus reality and seeing their bottom line really not budge that much. Uh, You know, if it helps you by a couple hundred dollars year to year, I don't think that Mm. people are really, you know, overjoyed about that. There is also a pretty significant tax gap between what is owed and what is actually collected to the tune of nearly $400 billion annually, and yet the chance that you will be audited is only 0.2%. So it kind of leads to the question, how is the IRS going to catch the tax cheats if they are taking 99.8% of us at our word, basically? Right. So essentially, they're looking to the bigger cheaters, I would say, to get as as much money back as possible. You know, that's why you hear of, you know, celebrities being audited, things like that. I think the average Joe is a little bit safer, but still, I would pay up. Yeah, no, no question. You know, when we mentioned lost revenue, there is also the issue of identity fraud, where someone uses your personal information to file in your name and claim your refund. How big of a problem is that really? It's becoming more and more of a problem. Uh, Even, you know, the last couple of years, we've actually seen a lot of fraud from surplus payments and, you know, everything having to do with the pandemic. So, you know, there is this feeling of, you know, getting kicked while you're down. But fraud is still certainly a huge deal. There's about a million tax returns reviewed as a result of identity theft, Hmm. just from last year alone. And, And that's from you know, mail fraud, it's from, you know, people dying and then having this happen. So Mm -hmm. a lot of different ways that people are getting defrauded this year. A lot of different uh, scenarios there. You know, one other note, uh, as as we sort of close the book on this year's tax season, I thought it was worth noting that from the data here, most of us certainly don't look forward to tax season and are ready to bid it good riddance for another year. The process of filing our taxes is big business in this country. There are those who actually do look forward to a tax season, namely the accountants and the uh, tax filing platforms and so on and so forth. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, for a lot of people, this is their bread and butter season, especially accountants, especially a lot of people in the tax prep field. And every year we're seeing it become a bigger and bigger industry, especially because the gig economy is huge now. And a lot of people are working for themselves. And that's when taxes are probably the toughest to navigate. Yeah, they start to get a little more complicated. And so you need to bring in professional help. Again, uh, Jill Gonzalez of Wild Hub uh, with uh, more on their 2022 tax burden by state report, which you have uh, online if folks want to uh, kind of dig into the numbers for better or worse. Really is a lot of fascinating data there. Where do we find that? Head to WalletHub.com. That's where you'll find these tax day facts and the shakedown of where each state ranks for its tax burden. Jill, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Anytime. Well, of course, uh, these days, a lot has been said about the great resignation. 95% of workers are at least considering changing their jobs, and many already have. But one other thing uh, is changing as well. Entrepreneurship is booming, too, because not only are people changing their businesses, they're changing the way they do business. And joining us this morning is uh, Trey Bodge, entrepreneur and business consultant. So what are some of those opportunities that exist for entrepreneurs and particularly for freelancers? Uh, Because that's maybe part of this that has gone a little bit unnoticed by many. So like you said, this is a very interesting time. It's a time of great change. Uh, Last year, 38 million people in the U.S. alone quit their jobs, and many are starting new businesses, and then many others are turning to freelance work, and so really, the small business marketplace is changing a great deal. So according to Fiverr's Small Business Needs Index, two big trends are emerging. So on one side, we have Web 3.0, and when you say that, you mean metaverse, and cryptocurrency and NFTs. And then on the other side, we're seeing a great surge in marketing strategy searches. It's up 107% over six months. And so for freelancers, it's really important to look at how your skills might apply to these big trends. And so, for instance, if you're a graphic designer, uh, could you perhaps offer services in creating 3D art for NFTs? Or if you're someone who is skilled in social media, uh, there are great opportunities there. Uh, Small businesses are looking for help in social media, marketing, video ads, fundraising campaigns. And so for a freelancer, there are so many opportunities out there as long as you're aware of where the trends are. Okay, so for for a would-be freelancer then, number one, how do you go about uh, identifying those skills that I may have that other uh, businesses may be able to put to good use and and, uh, figuring out if freelancing is maybe an alternative to holding a quote-unquote traditional job or or hanging out a shingle in the traditional way? Sure. So the first thing I would say is if you are still working, uh, my suggestion would be don't just leap and quit your job and and try to figure out afterwards. (laughs) Um, I've started several businesses and I cannot emphasize strongly enough to make sure you have a solid financial platform. So save as much as you can and then take the leap and then use a platform like Fiverr, which is excellent for connecting 
small businesses with freelancers. Uh, if you're a small business owner looking for someone to help you out with certain areas of your business, it's really easy to find people who have the skill set that might suit what you're looking for. And then from a freelancer's perspective, it's really easy to connect with those businesses and have transparent conversations about scope of work and duration of the job and price. And so platforms like this make it so much easier for small businesses and freelancers to connect. And that was the other uh, part of the uh, question for freelancers, then what goes into uh, bidding for one of these uh, types of jobs? What are the things that we need to uh, keep in mind when we are going out there to get one of those freelance jobs? Sure. So, you know, if you're using a platform like Fiverr, there's a lot of help there. Um, I would also be really mindful of creating a, um, a good presence for yourself, whether it's on social media or having a website. So if a, an employer, a prospective employer is going to vet you, they can see that you are the real deal, that you walk the walk, and that's really important as well. Um, and then I would say both for entrepreneurs and for freelancers, it's really important to create a network of like-minded people around yourself to get a sense of what um, your colleagues are looking at. What are they investing in? What do they think is important for their business? I think that can be very helpful as well, both for a small business owner and a freelancer. Well, and that was going to be the other thing that I, I asked uh, on the other end of that equation for a small business who is looking to find someone who is skilled in whatever uh, service uh, or, or uh, type of job that I need, finding someone who is skilled and who is a good fit. Uh, again, a lot of small businesses may be approaching, uh, uh, you know, hiring a freelancer uh, for the first time. This might be not be something that they have done before. Uh, so, how do they approach that to find the right person for the job? Sure. So, I, I do think a platform like Fiverr can be very, very helpful for an entrepreneur, especially if this is new for them. Mm -hmm. And what I also like to do is ask my colleagues. You know, do you know of anyone? <laughs> You know, do you, and what should I be looking for? Do you have advice for me? You know, because we don't know what we don't know, right? right? And so I think that it's really important to have a strong network around you that you can talk to and, and ask about, you know, how much do you typically pay someone or what are, the, um, what, what are the skills that I should be looking for if I need someone to help me with my social media, for instance. So, you know, using a platform like Fiverr to guide you, but then also making sure that you have a strong network around you to uh, ask, ask advice. Uh, kind of interesting uh, talking about the growth in freelancing uh, spurred on by the great resignation, people moving, uh, changing jobs, maybe starting businesses, but freelancing, another aspect of this uh, that uh, maybe people haven't uh, given a whole lot of thought to. Trey Baj, an entrepreneur, business consultant with us this morning. Where do we get more information uh, about some of these uh, opportunities, both for businesses who may be looking to hire freelancers and those who may be looking to freelance moving forward? You can go to Fiverr.com. It is a fantastic resource, both for entrepreneurs looking for help and freelancers looking for work. Trey Bodge, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. 
big travel weekend this past weekend. This didn't happen this past weekend, but you can imagine it happened. The last time you were traveling uh, by plane, did you ever uh, see somebody try to take something weird or unusual through like security or if you've traveled overseas through customs? Uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection officials at Washington Dulles International Airport reporting a very interesting find the other day. Three and a half pounds of cooked bat meat. Three and a half pounds of cooked bat meat was discovered in a passenger's bag along with other produce. Bat meat, by the way, is considered a bush meat and is not allowed to be brought into the U.S. since it can carry infectious diseases. Officers destroyed the illegal produce and turned the meat over to the CDC for inspection. Uh, bush meat has been linked to Ebola and bats in particular have been suggested as a source of COVID-19. The uh, traveler who had arrived in the U.S. from Ghana was released without his bat meat. Can you imagine being a customs officer? Uh, what is this, sir? It's bat meat. What was that? Bat meat? Can't imagine anyone eating bat meat. Uh, speaking of uh, interesting finds or interesting things that have been lost in this case, authorities in Pennsylvania are searching for a portable nuclear device that went missing following a carjacking. <laughs> Wait, what is that you said? A portable nuclear device. The nuclear gauge is owned by a construction inspection company and is used at uh, construction sites to help analyze the properties of building materials. When the stolen company vehicle was recovered on Friday, the gauge was gone. The state's Department of Environmental Protection said that it, if the device's sealed sources of radioactive material are damaged, there is a threat of nuclear contamination. <laughs> well, that's what you want to... That's what you want to hear. That Now, to be fair, I think the concern is for the person or persons in the immediate vicinity if the device is damaged. It's not like it's going to contaminate an entire city. It's not going to be it's not like a nuclear dirty bomb or anything, but still, uh can you imagine waking up to that in uh, in Pennsylvania, the lead story in the news? A portable nuclear device has gone missing. <laughs> Authorities uh, with the uh, with the uh, Department of Environmental Protection believe that the gauge may have been damaged and urge anyone who encounters the device not to handle it. Instead, the public should contact police or the uh, Department of Environmental Protection. Now, you don't have to tell me twice. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere near this thing. <laughs> Can you imagine our lead story this morning? A portable nuclear device has gone missing. That's a, that's, those are words that you never want to say as a news reporter. <laughs> that's just not. Uh, an investigation is underway in Michigan after a kindergartner brought an alcoholic drink to school. Kindergartner, the uh, child offered the premixed bottle of Jose Cuervo to four other classmates at Grand River Academy in Livonia last week. The school says no student became ill or needed medical attention, but an investigation is ongoing and disciplinary actions may be taken. 
I don't know. Disciplinary actions? I I don't know that the kindergarten really kindergartner really knew what this was. I mean, I think we can chalk this up to uh, just a uh, <laughs> rather humorous misunderstanding. Thank goodness everyone's okay, but still. Uh, did you happen to see this? I actually saw a video of this online as I was scanning my social media the other day, and I didn't look real closely. I wondered what in the world was going on. A woman apparently tried, um, well, she was protesting at a Minnesota Timberwolves game recently where the team was taking on the L.A. Clippers. Uh, according to the news reports, she uh, is a protester against animal cruelty, more specifically about the mass killing of chickens due to a possible transmission of the avian flu. You see, Timberwolves owner Glenn Taylor owns an egg farm in Iowa. And he recently had to cull his flock, <clears throat> excuse me, had to cull his flock after an outbreak of avian flu was detected, which is why this protester was upset. So fast forward to the Timberwolves game. She chose to demonstrate her ire by wearing a Glenn Taylor Roasts Animals Alive t-shirt and then face-planted on the court while the game was in progress in the second quarter of the game. She then tried gluing herself to the floor. <laughs> tried gluing herself. Unfortunately, um, the, uh, the woman identified as Alicia Santorio uh, didn't last five seconds against the numerous arena staff, security staff, who then quickly ushered her uh, out of the building. At least she did get something out of it. Uh, attention, Twitter has labored, labeled her glue girl. <laughs> but it didn't work. <laughs> Tried to glue herself to the floor of the basketball court. <laughs> and finally, in the uh, broken news this morning... Uh, this happened in Great Britain on the uh, British Morning Show this morning. Hosts Beth Lee Crowther uh, was appearing as a guest on the show. She apparently uh, was talking about her ability to communicate telepathically with animals. This is what she claims. She can speak telepathically with animals. The segment with Miss uh, Crowther was interrupted when her dog jumped off the couch and went wandering around the studio. <laughs> uh, cameras caught the moment when Misty, the dog, found her way to the kitchen set and raided a dish intended for a cooking segment later on the show. <laughs> One of the hosts asked Miss Crowther what Misty was thinking after stagehands took the plate away and attempted to herd the dog back to the couch. To which she simply replied, Misty is very greedy because she's rescued. She's a good girl, but she's had a hard life. Sorry about the chicken. <laughs> now, you would think if she truly could communicate with animals, she could have told Misty not to do that. <laughs> There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming.
This is Ed Vlentz with OSU Extension. It's planning season. Drivers will be sharing roads with tractors and farm machinery. Be alert for slow-moving vehicles, especially on roads with limited visibility. Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this spring to keep our roads safe and accident-free. This message from WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. And this, uh, another piece from the folks at WalletHub. We were talking about their uh, tax burden by state report earlier. And uh, this uh, WalletHub does all kinds of really fascinating research. So I always like to see what they are, are putting out. Uh, ahead of the Easter holiday, uh, the folks at WalletHub took a poll uh, as to what Americans were planning to do for the holiday and what blessings in their lives that they are most appreciative of. And I thought this was kind of interesting. So perhaps no surprise, given the fact that we are into kind of the post-pandemic period now, 55% of those in the survey said that they would not be spending Easter this year at home. Last year, 50% said that they did stay at home for the holiday. This year, 55% say they are not doing so. Instead, going to visit family or friends or maybe go out to eat. Or maybe both, um, but we're getting out of the house instead of spending Easter uh, alone. Uh, the gap in church attendance, I thought was uh, interesting, was not as pronounced. Uh, 30% said that they planned to attend Easter services this year. Last year, that was 26%. So the increase in church attendance, not quite as big of a bump as the number of people who said that they were going to visit family uh, for Easter as as opposed to uh, spending at home. So I thought that was uh, kind of interesting, and maybe that has something to do with this. 51% of those polled said that their faith kept them strong during the pandemic, but 49% said it didn't help at all. So maybe we lost a little bit of our faith over the course of the pandemic. The poll also asked respondents what the pandemic made them more thankful for in terms of the blessings in their lives. 40% said family, 34% noted their health, and 9% said the pandemic made them more thankful for their freedom, 9%. And, of course, that uh, no doubt spurred on by memories of lockdowns and other pandemic-related restrictions. So coming off the Easter weekend, I thought this would be the perfect postscript. You know how sometimes the lessons of the Bible can be difficult to grasp or less than exciting to read. The Bible is not written to grab your attention like, say, a contemporary novel would be. But in the new book, Journey to Eternity, Gerald W. Donaldson does just that, weaving lessons from Scripture into a thrilling adventure. And Gerald, so is that the idea, kind of the, to deliberately take the lessons of the Bible and make them maybe more accessible and relatable for contemporary readers? Was that the idea behind the book? Yes. So kind of like the literary equivalent of Christian pop music then? Well, I, I was somewhat inspired by, this is somewhat inspired by Pilgrim's Progress, if people know that story a little bit. This is kind of a... Uh, inspired by that a little bit and, and other not uh, other Christian novels like Frank Peretti and the, some of those. Uh, 
I just wanted to uh, write something, uh, something I never had done before in writing. And so this was something I felt that uh, God wanted me to do. So what age uh, ages is this book targeted at? Is this for young readers? Is this for adult readers? Uh, is it kind of across the board? Or who are you uh, aiming I, I, at? I, I think from teenagers, clear up to 105. Okay, so so tell us a little bit about the story. As we mentioned, uh, it, it is kind of an adventure uh, novel. It follows uh, two individuals, uh, two men with a, a choice to make, and they kind of take different paths. Kind of tell us, give us a brief synopsis of the book. Okay, the story is about two men who receive an invitation from the King of Eternity, and this is based on two passages out of uh, the Bible in Matthew 7 and Matthew 22. And I had done some devotional uh, on both of those passages, and I, I found found that there was a link between those two passages. And so I took this and uh, developed the story from that. And these this is really a symbolic of how mankind is, one taking one path to the king of eternity and the other one a different path. So the, this story is about two men who receive uh, an invitation to a wedding banquet uh, on behalf of the king's son, and uh, each each man, uh, they're compelled to go, so they each have to make a choice of what, what road to take to get there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the story chronicles each man's life growing up as it, as it pertains to where they are right now when they receive the invitation to go to, go to the, the king. And talk a little bit about the process by which you crafted scripture into the narrative of the book, um, sort of applying those lessons within the context of, and, and really the, the book touches on some contemporary issues that both Christians and non-Christians alike face uh, every day in the here and now. Uh, back in 2016, I had a near-fatal heart attack. And, um, thankfully I was only like three blocks uh, away from a hospital when I had it, had I been anywhere else, uh, you wouldn't be talking to me today. Yeah. So, uh, I, this is, this is like my fourth near fatal incident that I've had. So when it came, when it came to the last heart attack I had, uh, I had ended up, I ended up retiring early because I couldn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you start putting all these things together, life becomes a little bit different for you and your perspective looks a little bit different. So with that in mind, uh, as I was doing my devotionals and these two passages kept coming over and over and over again. So uh, I I just felt that there was some linkage between the two passages and I never had heard these two passages linked together at a church or in any devotional or anything. So, uh, Something kept prompting me to just go ahead and do something totally out of the box, out of my comfort zone. I've never written a book, never thought about it. Hmm. So, uh, so it was from my life experiences. I just started to uh, develop this story, and one thing after another, after another, and just kind of all came together. So it was uh, really like God speaking to you, saying, "This is uh, something that that you need to do. This is a a book you need to write." Yeah, it, like I said, the, the, these two passages kept speaking to me over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Yeah, and I didn't know exactly 
what that meant and this kind of an inner voice kept saying uh you need to write a book you need to write a book and i was like i never gave it any thought never entertained even writing a book i i do like to write but nothing to this i mean this is way out of my comfort zone <laughs> well it's uh, often said that god will take you out of your comfort zone uh, <laughs> quite often and here's a, a perfect example of that and as you were touching on this is very personal to you and i think we've all wondered what eternity looks like uh, but you have had a number of close calls in your life that that truly make you appreciate life and what comes after Right. Like I said, after this last heart attack, it, it was kind of a, just kind of reinforced kind of what maybe God's been doing with me the last, I've been a Christian for almost 50 years. And so I, God maybe was trying to get my attention and saying, you're kind of overdue, you need to do something. <laughs> the book is called Journey to Eternity. It is definitely something. Gerald W. Donaldson uh, is the author. Do you have a website in conjunction with the book we can guide folks to? Yes. Uh, it's uh, under DarylWDonaldson.com. Uh, people can also buy the book uh, through Amazon, Walmart, uh, Westboat Press, and Barnes and & Noble. And we will link that up on our webpage. Folks want to learn more about it. Uh, Jared Donaldson, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Uh, certainly best of luck with the book. Thank you so much, Chris. Appreciate it very much. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, the Findlay Hancock County Community Foundation is kicking off their 30th anniversary celebration with a mobile story walk that will travel the county over the coming weeks. We'll get details. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.